Hey, Retention Pros. I'm Noah Rahim Zadeh and I lead partnerships here at Malomo. I'm super pumped to continue to chat with ecosystem experts alongside Mariah, who you all already know and love. Say hi, Mariah. Hey, everyone. As you probably know, Retention Chronicles likes to bring in some of the best retention-focused brands in the Shopify ecosystem. But we don't just feature brands. We also feature some great thought leaders in the Shopify ecosystem that serve brands. And because we always want these conversations to be fun, you'll hear us talk with our guests about what they're excited about and what's helped them get to where they are today. We hope you'll stick around to learn and laugh with us. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com. Sweet. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to the next episode of Retention Chronicles. Really excited for today's episode. We're jo- joined by Jim Brees, who's head of growth at App Hub. Um, Jim can probably do a much better job explaining App Hub um, than I can, but I recently came across them at a couple conferences uh, at the end of 2022. Uh, met. Uh, John, who I think might head up BD or uh, so- something similar. For ops, there. yeah. Ops, yep. Um, and uh, we we talked and just seemed like a, a natural fit to have these guys on the podcast. So really happy to have you, Jim, and appreciate you joining us. Hey, thank you for having us, Noah and Mariah. Really appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. Um, so Jim, you know this, but we like to start every episode before we get to the shop talk on a couple personal notes. So um, would love to hear one or two things that you're really excited about in your personal life right now. Yeah, um, I mean, there's two main things. I have like a few focus points this year. A lot is to be around, um, I wanna get a dog this year. I had a dog for a long time Gosh. and um, our last dog passed away in February last year. So I, I've been kind of waiting and, Say, all right, it's, it's now time to get a new one. So I want to get a dog this year and uh, I want to get a West Highland Terrier, I think, was what we're looking oh, wow. for. I've had one when I was growing up and now you see them all over Instagram. I'm like, I got to get it again. So that's one thing. And then I think taking a trip, like taking a lot of trips this year, I want to go to Hawaii. My wife is from there. So we'll go out to Hawaii and kind of do an outer island trip and see some paradise. I'm in Detroit, Michigan. It's gray. It's 35 degrees. <laughs> no Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, it's no Hawaii. So there's that. And, you know, maybe do some exploring of the upper peninsula of Michigan, kind of get to see some uh, more nature and more, you know, things like that. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So I had to look up West Highland Terrier. I'm I did the same thing. Okay, <laughs> I had to confirm. I was like, I it's think a dog I know. on the Caesar uh, t- food, you know? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, that's awesome. Mariah, do you have a dog? I haven't had a dog since I was like a kid. So. Yeah. Growing up, we had one, um, a French bulldog, the cutest thing in the world. Her name was Brie. So definitely after the French cheese. But yeah, um, that's the only dog I've ever had. But I mean, if it was up to me and I didn't have to have the responsibility, I feel like I'd have many pets, but yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. I love, they just make your like life so much more vibrant, you know, having a mm-hmm. dog in the house. I'm here working at my house all day by myself. It would be nice to have like, um, you know, something to kind of hang out with and just like tool around with during lunch or whatever. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. It forces you to get outside too, which is not always easy for us in the Midwest, yeah. uh, especially during these months. So that's awesome. Uh, and then Jim, Hawaii is like literally top of my list of anywhere in the world that I want to go. I've I've visited a lot of places, but I'm even outside of the country. But um, 
Hawaii, I haven't been to. And of all the places in the world, I think it's like literally at the top. Have you been before? Yeah, I've been like, I think six or seven times. My oh, wife is wow. from there. So we go there, like we used to go there every year wow. and the pandemic hit. Um, she's been back subsequently since the pandemic started, but um, I'm going to be going back with her this year. So yeah, it's, it's a beautiful place, you know, and you're like, wow, this is part of our country here. You know, like these are, yeah. it's such an amazing place, you know, so the plants there, the, uh, the water, it's just an amazing, the food, the people. Um, yeah, I love it there. So I'm excited to go see the other islands. I've been to Oahu for every one of our trips. So I want to go see kind of, um, you know, the big island and some other places that are a little more remote and kind of, yeah, get that vibe in there, the island vibe. Awesome. Are there any things that are, are there any places or like excursions that you would say people don't think about, but when I go for the first time, for example, I should absolutely do, but I won't like necessarily find if I just search best things to do in Hawaii. You know, that's a great question. I uh, I think that one of the things that I didn't know was big out there was shrimp trucks. So there's this thing like where you drive down the kind of the highway, there's these trucks, there's one called, uh, oh man, I don't remember the names, but you'll see them when you're going up on the East coast of uh, Oahu, you can start to see on the highway, these trucks and they're so good, but the line is so very long too. So okay. I think that's one of the things is to get the shrimp trucks. And uh, try to find some smaller beaches that are kind of off the beaten path. You know, I think that there's a lot of beaches like in Waikiki where it's like, hey, this is where all the tourists go. But if you can kind of get like where the locals go, that's it's really, really cool. You know, we got to see um, in Sharks, I think it's called Sharks Cove, just kind of snorkeling and seeing animals and just seeing different little uh, tide pools and stuff. It's very, very interesting. You know, something you don't get out here. And I mean, Michigan has tons of beautiful water to explore, right. but what's out there is just something else. So yeah, food, right. lots of food, go and get all the kind of local food. They got local kind food. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Like one of my favorite foods, even here in Indianapolis is um, like uh, acai bowls and um, what's the, what's the one with like tuna and salmon? Um, oh, um, poke bowls. Poke, 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 yeah. Poke, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. So I, I would be in hog heaven there in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. And why Lua, I think is what it is. There's a, um, a couple, like every, how would you call it? The grocery stores have like some awesome, um, poke. So you go out to like, I think it's why Lua and they have some, uh, um, awesome grocery stores out there that kind of have all different kinds. So yeah, if you like fresh fish, go out there and get all the kinds of fresh yes. fish from the smallest places you can think of. That sounds incredible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is making me want to just play yeah. the trip and food immediately land, after this call. <laughs> and food, food land is the greatest like uh, grocery store out there. They've all this kind of food you can take with you out there, but, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a cool place. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Mariah, maybe the next Maloma Summerfest. I was going to say, do you think we can convince the team? Yeah. <laughs> that would uh, be so awesome. Before we get into it, Jim, I'm also curious, you're in Detroit now. Have you always been there? Yeah, so I grew up in Detroit. After college, I moved out to Los Angeles, actually. I spent uh, 11 years out there. Then in the middle of the pandemic, I moved back to Michigan uh, so and I've been here for about two and a half years now. So yeah, I've been kind of uh, just in Detroit, East Lansing. I went to Michigan State University nice. and then, um, yeah, I went to LA. I lived in downtown LA, lived in Pasadena by the mountains. It's just like, it's a beautiful place. California is an amazing place to uh, go spend. And I, I cut my teeth out there for, yeah. you know, all my, my business stuff. And it was like being a very hyper competitive environment. This is when startups were kind of being like the cool, hot thing. Everybody had to have a tech startup or they were working in tech <laughs> And it was just like the place to be at. So I'm very grateful for my experience out there in California. Well, that's I'm a, sure it taught you a lot. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. yeah. You're, you're playing with like, um, all the top players in that space. You know, I know great, you know, San Francisco's got a lot, but there is a lot of people still in, there is a tech scene in LA. They may not seem like that, but maybe more an entertainment tech, but there are a lot of things going on out in LA and you're very connected to San Francisco. It's just like a, a one hour flight or up there, you know, so it's not too far. Right. Yeah. Did, uh, that's a great transition. Cause my next question was like background. Um, what did you go to school for entrepreneurship or, or general business? And I went to school. That was yeah. sort of the route. Like what, what was the, how did that all play out? You know, I didn't really think a lot about going when I went into college, what I was going to do. Like a lot of my friends were like, we're going into the business school and doing finance. And I was like, okay, this seems like fun. I'll go do that. <laughs> and I'm really good with math. I was doing like AP calc and things. I was like, all right, let's do finance. And so I got a degree in finance and then, um, and then that was pretty much it. I learned entrepreneurship. It's like, like as a kid, like I was the one selling pixie sticks and like going to Costco and getting stuff and like selling stuff out of my locker. I did the same uh, thing. Costco yeah, so, had the parents pick up like the 50 pack of M&Ms. Yeah. I, think I so, actually got in trouble for that. Like maybe oh, yeah. they're like, you can't run a business out of your middle school. I was competing with the school store and I was like, I'll undercut. I don't care. <laughs> out of the locker. 99. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do it for 88. Don't worry about it. You know? So no, that was kind of the thing. It's, you know, I like to find value. I like to help people. I think entrepreneurship is a great vehicle for helping people solve problems. And that's something I like to do. I like to think about a lot of things and then go execute on them. So entrepreneurship was just a natural progression of my finance background and just other things I've been involved with. Awesome. And so when you moved out to LA, did you actually like start something yourself or did you just join a, join a startup? Like what was that path? Yeah. I had a, a very like a long difficult. I'll say uh, lots of turns in my career. I went out there. I had no job planned. I went on Craigslist and I started selling insurance, like kind of a scammy insurance job. And it's just like <laughs> something to keep me going, you know? And then I worked at Panda Restaurant Group. So they own all the Panda Expresses around the world. And I got a lot of great experience there. It's probably one of the best corporate jobs you could ever get. They take very good care of their people. But they also like drill into you great operations and execution excellence and things of that nature. And they allowed me to work in uh, different departments. I was in the, I started in the mailroom, then I went to finance and then I went to brand marketing. And when I was in brand marketing, I was like, oh man, they're, you know, there's a lot of good opportunities in food. So I, I started a tea company and I moved into that and started a loose leaf tea company. This is when like Tivana was really popping and Starbucks yeah, was yeah. Even, you know, their golden years of Starbucks. And then uh, from there, I got more into like content marketing and and blogs and things of that nature. So I didn't really work too much in tech uh, myself, but I did a lot of consulting in tech for marketing. So my background got more into marketing as I uh, progress my career. I just thought there was just so much cool stuff with marketing. I thought marketing was scammy when I was growing up, you know, it was just TV yeah. ads and, you know, <laughs> the phone book. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I started using like, you know, Facebook ads and Google ads and kind of peeling back the layers of what can be a great marketing tech stack and a great marketing, you know, content strategy. And I just fell in love with content. So a lot of the businesses I built, I've built with content, you know? Awesome. Awesome. And then, um, take us, take us to, uh, app hub, like what, what ended up leading to that? Yeah. So I worked at a, a CPA firm for in the cannabis industry specifically. And I did a lot of work there. Um, a lot of content work there as a CMO and, uh, one of the ladies or one of the women that got hired, uh, she worked there for a while. And then we both kind of left the company at the same time. I was helping consult on her business. And then she gave me a phone call 
you know, after a while, it's like, hey, I'm at this new startup called App Hub and we need someone in growth. Would you want to interview for the position? And it was like from, you know, that first call, maybe like three weeks later, I was at the job. So wow. yeah, it was just like, that's like my biggest advice is like, you know, always help the people that are around you. Like I'm a big proponent of doing free work. You know, I think it's important to do free work, to help people out, to get into uh, other people's businesses and see how they're running, what they're thinking about. And that's yeah. kind of how I got this job, you know, um, and I've gotten most of my jobs, you know, not the corporate job, but a lot of my jobs came through doing free work, demonstrate your, your ability and people will pay for it. And they see that, that value. Yeah. That's a really interesting take. I've, uh, I have a similar, I guess, mindset, but it, it's more derived from like so many people helped me when I was younger in my career, I started, I co-founded a company out of school, and then worked for a bunch of uh, like litany of enterprise MarTech companies, I think for probably a lot of the same reasons that that you ended up going the marketing route, Jim. Um, but now I just find so much value in like paying paying that forward. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, it, even if like nothing directly comes back, like the feeling of knowing that you just helped somebody that like was once or like you were once in their shoes is just so awesome. Yeah. And you get smarter, you know, the more things that you touch, the more businesses you get into. Like right. I was in Vistage for a while and Vist like had a startup founders group. And I got to work with like 12 different founders every month, you know, on their businesses. And they were all at different stages. So it was a very, it was like my MBA, you know, Vistage was a great experience too. So I think it's, it's excellent to do good work for people and free work. If you can, if you can afford it, I know people have a, it's a polarizing topic. I can understand that, but like you, <laughs> you got to pay it forward. You yeah. know, like, yeah. Whatever you can do, right? Yeah, create your own luck. You know, no one's going to give you your opportunity. You got to create that for yourself. Absolutely. Um, okay, so getting into App Hub a little bit, uh, I would I would argue it might be like the most unique um, partner that we've sort of had on uh, the podcast in the sense that um, my my take on it, and like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're almost like an app aggregator. Like you bring apps in and kind of stitch them together to create, um, maybe it's not a one size fits all, but it's like uh, a la carte options that all talk to one another and sort of hit the most prominent um, categories across the Shopify app stack. And that that is probably ignorant of me to say Shopify, because I don't know if it's all exclusive to Shopify, but that's my understanding. Tell me like where I'm right, where I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, so at its very, very core, we are an app aggregator, but that is a very unsexy term. And it's, it, it really pulls away <laughs> all the kind of, the, no, no. And it's, this is the category we're in, right? Like, um, but I think, you know, there's a thesis out there that there's a lot of great technology out there and there's a lot of great builders out there and they like to build amazing products, but they need help with a lot of different other aspects of their business, you know, finance, marketing, taxes, customer support, HR, like no one likes doing any of that stuff. You know, developers like to sit in front of their computer and develop. So we wanted to give these like founders a little bit of liquidity and put them into a container to focus on building valuable products while a team of professionals can come in and do each discipline and help with everything else. So, you know, we've acquired a fair amount of companies, I think seven or eight companies at this point uh, in different sectors, mostly Shopify, primarily on platform at Shopify. And then there's some that are off Shopify, like reviews.io and viral sweep. And then um, yeah, some of the other ones that are on Shopify have connected with big commerce, WooCommerce, but yeah, Shopify plays a big part into our business. You know, we're kind of tied at the hip for the moment. Um, okay. That was so much better said than. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, real quick, are all the, just to be clear, are all of the apps under the portfolio Shopify compatible? 
or are some not today? Mm. Uh, everybody is Shopify compatible. So everybody is on Shopify. Um, that's yeah. So everybody is on Shopify and some do off platform as well. And then I think I heard this correctly, but, um, and it was, it was actually a question I had when you acquire a, a new app, new company, you typically, it sounds like, uh, leave the founders in place to continue to develop their product, um, and just figure out how it fits all together, which I'm sure you do way before yeah. the actual acquisition, but yeah, uh, I mean, there's two types of deals. You can either bring the founders, you give them the option, you know, like some people have been working for a decade on these products and you know, what you've come to find out is that they want to continue to build. I feel like they were looking for an event like this to like, say, all right, to validate, we did the right thing. Now we have the juice to go and squeeze for a, like a lot longer. So most of our, I think all of our apps, the founders are still there. There's actually two of them that they're not there, but that's okay. We've had, we have developers like in-house developers that take those over and we let those brands persist as well. Like we haven't rolled up everything into like one brand name, you know, and we can get into that a little bit later about the uh, different kind of strategies for uh, aggregators, but yeah, you know, bring, try to bring the founders in because they have that core vision, at least bring them on for a certain amount of time so they can do the transition phase and kind of give us the you know, peek behind the curtain. So we know how to actually build it yeah. and work this app, you know, <laughs> taking over a code base is now no easy feat. So, you know. Absolutely. And um, I'm happy you brought up the the idea of like um, uh, interoperability across the stack. Do, do all of the apps today, and I know reviews.io is very recent, right? Yeah. Uh, at least the public announcement of that. Do all of them, when you acquire them, like, is there an immediate plan to integrate them across one another so that if somebody wants to plug in, buy all of them and plug them all in and seamlessly, like that's an option? Or is that like super nearsighted for me to even think that that, or ignorant for me to think that that's <laughs> No, possible. it's not, not ignorant at all. I think yeah. hey, that's, that is like the crystal vision we would love to have to be able to have a lot that, a lot of that interoperability between the apps, but look, there's two ways to create a platform. You either rebrand everything as the, like the parent company and bring everybody kind of interoperable, or you allow these brands to kind of grow on their own and, and create their own name brand. Um, we have kind of gone with the, the ladder there and people are still kind of like in control of their destiny. There is some interoperability. There's, you know, tech integrations, things of that nature. But yeah. um, I think in this, like the second, third and fourth year of our business, we'll do a lot more of deeper integrations, deeper ability for customers to yeah, get a, get a bulk discount. But, you know, we are kind of working on the, it takes a long time to build these types of things up. You know, M&A is, um, you think, hey, you just give them some money and, they, and you bring the business in. It's a lot more. There's a lot of, you know, gelling that needs to happen and things that need to come together to combine businesses, combine cultures, to combine uh, customer bases even. So it's a long process. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so you have, you said seven or eight apps under the the portfolio right now. I'm curious what went into, you know, the what or what goes into the evaluation process. And then I'd love to start with like the current portfolio and then get into what your what categories you're really interested in taking a deeper dive in. What do you think will flourish in 2023 given you know the macroeconomic conditions and um what we're seeing across the e-commerce space more specifically? Yeah. Um, so the question, like, so what we have now, we have reviews.io, viral sweep, conversion bear, which is a suite of like, you know, 20 different apps. And then we have RoboTurk, which is address validator, Apicon, which has a couple apps, rich returns, order bump, and then next sale. So that's our current portfolio. 
Um, and that's been built over since October, 2021. So the past, what, 14, 15 months, 16 months, we've been putting that together. Reviews.io being the latest one for us. Um, and then, you know, assessing app. And so your other question was assessing apps to acquire, right? You know, so, I mean, the, the market is full of great apps and lots of opportunities, I think. And, you know, we looked at all the Shopify apps, all 7,000 of them. We continue to look at them and can, they're all at different stages. You know, we have like Matt Tenenhaus and Arjun Batra from our, our um, CEO team. And then Matt is on our M&A team. And then our, you know, investors, everyone is looking at sending us leads. So you go through a lot of leads, you go through a lot of off-platform stuff as well. And it's a long due diligence process. You know, you, you've got to talk to these funders. They're all at different stages of their business. And if you find a founder that's way too early for us, you know, you still stay in contact with them because our business will be around in four, five, six, seven, eight years. Sure. So when yeah. you're ready and you're at XYZ, you know, spot, then let us know. And we kind of try to stay in contact with them. But I think a few main things to look at when you're doing M&A in this space is like this app has to solve a real problem. You know, we've had a, an environment of 0% interest rates and like VC money that just flooded in and like everybody that had an idea was able to get funding and it was just <laughs> not conducive to building, you know, real value. In the, and you're seeing those things being flushed out of the system. So I think solving a real problem is number one. And for us, they've got to be a market leading solution with a core product market fit, you know, where it's like, hey, if the lights or if the marketing stopped today, you would still be able to keep your, your core business going that people still would find you. They still love you. Um, another one is excellent reviews. You know, you can have a great app. A founder can tell a great story. They may be a marketer. They may be a presenter and they're like, look at this great thing. And it does all these good stuff. But if like, no one's giving you feedback on that, uh, publicly through reviews. And that's a kind of a red flag there. Uh, another thing we look at is high retention rate or an improving retention rate, right? Churn is a really big thing. And uh, if people don't find value in your app for the long term, then we're we can be bleeding money at some point. And lastly, I think is still having juice to squeeze that I brought up earlier. You know, like if you're at the peak and you know, your valuation is going to also be way too high potentially, or is like there's nothing else to do to. Uh, tangentially connect you to other parts of the market or to uh, create new feature sets. I mean, there's always going to be opportunity, but I think there needs to be a few obvious, um, you know, forward path to success in there. But also there's a lot of like, you know, variables. There could be lots of different types of businesses. You know, the ones I named earlier, they're all at different stages that we've acquired. Um, and that's what makes our platform great is because when you join AppHub, as a founder or, you know, we bring your business in, you get to learn from everybody else and like where they're at in their different sets of knowledge and what they've experienced. And, you know, it's not just about creating cost savings. Any PE firm can create cost savings. You know, it's about creating true uh, learnings for the founders so that we can improve these apps and, you know, improve the value of the business. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's some great criteria, I think, and really helpful to get like a, a view into, how you assess. Um, <clears throat> you said the the crazy stat of 7,000 apps in the, in the Shopify ecosystem alone. And it's yeah. probably, you know, there's probably been 10 more launched today, at least. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we obviously fit in that space. Uh, um, maybe, well, first question is, there's inherent overlap a lot of times, like across across apps, even if they're not solving for the same core problem, right? Um, a lot of them will have some functionality that overlaps with, like for us, we have some partners that offer um, lighter weight versions of what we have, but we still partner with them because they're really good at what they do well and we're really yeah. good at what we do well. Um, how does that sort of play a factor in your evaluations? Like, would, yeah. would, 
would you acquire a company that has some overlap with a, an existing portfolio company? Yeah, so we've done that exactly. We've done that. Um, so we have Conversion Bear, which is a set of apps, um, and they have an upsell app called Honeycomb. It's a very good upsell app. It's in, but its pricing model is different than the other one, which is called Order Bump. And Order Bump is primarily focused on Shopify Plus. And so it's just you know you kind of address different markets. Um, one is selling up market, one is selling to mid market. It does have up market and plus people in there. So it's just, you know, it depends on where it fits. Is it going to cannibalize us? There's a lot of considerations. Also, like how far is the product? What kind of um, penetration does it have into the market? Um, things of that nature. So yeah, nothing's off the table. You just kind of have to look at each deal uh, on an individual basis and say, what, what are we looking to get out of this? You know, you can buy a company, you can buy a creative revenue, but you know, what are you actually looking to acquire from them that help your portfolio go to that next step? And that's kind of, it's a, a very nuanced analysis you need to make every time you go to make an offer on a company. Sure. Um, and then in the case of reviews for reviews.io, for example. Um, I'm curious if anything specific about like reviews themselves, like you even said it in, you know, your, your criteria when you're evaluating apps that reviews are super important. Mariah and I, you know, I think have uh, the same belief, especially as it relates to like our merchants and including reviews on product recommendations on our tracking pages was like a really nice use case that we launched last, uh, last year. Um, but I'm curious, just, in, just generally speaking is part of it also like being like really bullish on a certain category of app or like a certain problem that needs better, a, a better solution. Um, or is it really just looking at like the fundamentals from a business perspective? Does that, I, does yeah. that no, that, that makes a good question. And, you know, there are some categories where we really need to go and get something and reviews was one of them. You know, it's, it's a critical process. I think it's like 93% of people in econ like that are, um, or, uh, consumers use reviews to make a purchase decision, you know? And so going to find a market leader, the market leader reviews.io was a very important thing to, to go and get. But I think it's also focusing on core fundamentals. I brought up earlier, a lot of bad behavior was fostered during this kind of like like 0% uh, interest rates where everyone could kind of build something. But when you get to like, what is e-commerce? What is happening in commerce? And it's like word of mouth marketing is very important. That's how things spread. And this is a new way. Reviews.io is a new way to spread that word of mouth marketing. And it's just, a, it's a beautiful app. It does so many amazing things. Callum and Tom and their team have done an amazing job building this over the past um like past decade, I think 11, 12 years, you know, and, and this whole team, you know, I don't know everybody at the team, but they've done an excellent job. So it's focusing on, you know, certain categories that are not going to go anywhere. You know, like you might see some fancy, like, oh, these tag managers and this thing. And like something is very technically like it's bleeding edge, but there's certain things that are just like core to the essence of sales and transactions and reviews.io is one of those. Yeah. 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 We are, we are super bullish on reviews. Heavy on reviews. Yeah. <laughs> also like even for, for Maloma, right, Mariah, like we're always looking for that social proof and, and validation, however we can get it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like one of those things that I feel like now I, I feel, I forget who we were talking to know about this, um, in a other, in another podcast episode, but like Amazon, I feel like set the president cause they, like are so heavy with those reviews yes. and now it's like shopping online you, you know you see something without a lot of reviews or something that um doesn't have any reviews and you're like is this a new 
product? Like, what's like, has no one tried <laughs> you this? You feel like you're gambling, like, you're rolling scammy? dice. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and especially with, like, I've just noticed my own habits. And if I find something from, say, like an Instagram ad or a Facebook ad, and then I'm still like a little bit skeptical sometimes, just yeah. depending on if I don't know the brand or if like they're not verified, whatever. And so if you go into like their website and there's no reviews, then you're like, okay, this is just not, like, I'm not ordering from here. It's not worth the risk. If like, you know, there's going to be like, is my product going to be shipped to me? If people try this, it's yeah, it, it lends into a lot um, for like the consumer. And then also just like merchants and buying habits and like, so both the tech and the um, yeah, the consumer side yeah. of it. Super. Our important. lives are busy. We have so much data coming into our life. You know, like we yeah. do lean on people, you know, like, all right, it's got, you know, one has got 50 reviews and one's got 200,000. You're going to go to 200,000, you know, Brandon, yeah. now we're going to get to the point where minimum 10,000 reviews on a product on Amazon, or you're like, not going to look at it. But also that creates some bad behavior too, you know, with merchants paying for reviews and things of that nature, which I think Amazon's doing a good job flushing that out of the system as well. But yeah, I mean, reviews and social proof and testimonials are very, very important into convincing your customers that they're making the right choice. Even if it's a $5 item or a $500 item, you're still reading reviews on it. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's it's that moment once you open the package and it doesn't work and you're like, what the hell, dude? What, why, <laughs> why did I even buy this? Even if it was like 30 cents, you know, like, for example, like we bought, uh, I had, had some fondue last night for the first time. We oh, bought fondue yum. sticks. And they were like, they came all janky and it was like, (laughs) and I was like, so, so mad, you know, cause they didn't have reviews on there, but I was like, this one, like they look good, you know, like they had great pictures. And I was like, this is where I broke my kind of, you know, uh, model of like only get the highest reviewed ones. So yeah, yeah, it's just a small thing where I was like, I was disappointed, but so we ended up using forks last night, which is okay. It worked (laughs) out, but it's just like, you wanted that fondue experience. You tried to create it and you were let down, you know, that was part of our experience last night. Yeah. Never again. Right there. Like oh, it's fondue, 10, of reviews of the bun, you know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. How was the fondue? I it was excellent. haven't had fondue for so long and now it's top of my mind. I've never, mean, I've never had it. It was my birthday yesterday. So my oh, wife wow. made me some, uh, oh my yeah, she surprised me and I had no, she was like, we're going to make something you've never had it before. And, uh, and so we made our own fondue. I don't know where like cheeses, a couple types of cheeses, and then like tart cherry juice, cornstarch. Oh my I, I I had some wine that I've made a couple of years ago that's been aging. So wow. I put some wine in there, and it was just it was just a beautiful like. And I made some homemade bread, and oh, it was just excellent. So happy late birthday too! Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that's it. So Thank fun. You. Yeah, sounds like a lovely birthday dinner. It was excellent. That's awesome. Um, okay. So when you look across app hubs portfolio, now you've got reviews as the latest, what are the categories in 2023, whether, you know, there's, um, there's obviously a lot of assumptions about what we're going to see on the macro side. There's a lot of e-commerce specific assumptions. And I think there's no consensus really. Um, so whether or not those assumptions play a part or not, where are the gaps in app hubs offerings right now that are like sticking out two or three categories where you're like, we are really keen uh, and looking heavily into these spaces. That's a good question. You know, and that's, that's a question I think a little bit more for Matt. And I think it's, you know, it's not any specific categories. It's a, like our job is to build revenue and to grow a business and it may not be in specific categories, but I think looking at it in a sense of 
what businesses are going to do really, really well this year. I think those are going to be apps that save merchants money and demonstrate tangible ROI. There is no question about it that the macro is not, is it's not going to improve like by Q2 and like everything's honky dory, you know, like there is still <laughs> max pain to be felt. So I think that, you know, merchants are turning out of e-commerce and those that are sticking around or slimming down their tech spend. It's like a real fact of our business. Like, and if you work on Shopify, you have the built-in Shopify churn sitting on your churn as well. So you need to solve a real plot problem and not just build something you think that merchants need. So I think they're, you know, for 2023, something that's sexy and hot, I think is AI. You know, I'm on Twitter, you see all these people talking about it. I don't think it's going to replace people. I think it can like reduce the human time spent on things, but I think it's going to turn marketers into like narrators or prompters versus having to do all the heavy lifting, you know, like chat GPT, please write me 10 Google ad titles that are 30 characters for XYZ business that are optimized for high click-through rate, you know, tell it what you want it to do. It will get you 85% of the way there. Then you can massage things. But overall, I think it's going to get back to, again, great operations and the basics of e-commerce, you know, like, Along for a long, again, long time, people have been creating businesses that were not really businesses. They were just VC funded growth machines that grow at all costs, but they weren't really putting out that ROI. So I think cross-selling and upselling is going to be a big thing. You know, like some merchants don't even know that that exists and that there are tools to do that, you know, and this literally shows ROI immediately. I think analytics, you know, beyond just like CLTV and revenue, like give me actionable insights, like GA 4.0 is turning on for everyone in July. If you don't have your tag implemented, you better get it implemented. And what can you pull from that tag and how, you know, what actionable insights can you give to people? I think store design is going to be super cool. Like Malomo, I love the, the kind of ways you optimize like the most viewable pages. People are checking their shipping status, like, you know, five, six, seven times that page is very, very valuable real estate. So what can you do to make in more money on that page? So I think that's going to be something special. We have a new app called Checkout Bear that's on Shopify for Shopify Plus. They have a new, um, Shopify has a new API for checkout. So it's you know been one of the ones we launched uh, as of recent. So it's not always about um, buying apps. Sometimes we're doing more development on the internal side too. And I think marketing automation is going to have, you know, it's, it's really big heyday. You know, there's been a lot of marketing automation coming, but I think it's becoming more for the average merchant. You know, you have to understand merchants are not tech people in most cases. They need it very, very easy. That's why things like Zapier are very successful. Um, So, you know, you want to be able to give a merchant the feel of having a full-time employee for the cost of a steak, full like a one steak dinner, you know, per month. If you can give them that kind of value, you will have no problem keeping them as a customer. So those are my few categories I think that are going to back to basics type of things. Yeah, it's it's funny that you said AI. Um, I immediately thought, so John on your team, who I, again, I met in Toronto at uh, Shopify's conference this year. We sort of hit it off. We were having some drinks and we ended up talking about podcasts and he recommended a podcast called Prof G Pod, which, mm-hmm. I, which has become by far my favorite podcast find of 2022. Uh, and I was listening to it this morning and he was doing his 2023 predictions. And he said, AI is going to be like the biggest thing in 2023. So uh, sounds like between you and Prof G. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's going to be confirmed. That. Yeah. And you look at like, like I think yesterday, Microsoft said, hey, we're going to roll chat GPT into Bing and make it like an actual search engine and not just some like 
nebulous tool that nobody but their grandma and like people that work in corporate because they can't install a Google Chrome browser use. So I think you're going to see like a big cannibalization, like of Google, you know, of their ad platform. Cause I can go there. I don't have to worry about the top ranking article. I just ask chat GPT, what's the answer to this? And it gives me enough to like be directionally correct. And then I can maybe have a more pointed search, but you know, a lot of stuff is going to go away. I think for, for, you might see search volume decline uh, on a per, per, per capita basis. We'll see, but I think it's a very exciting time. I don't, again, I don't think it's going to replace us as marketers. I don't think it's going to replace tons of jobs, but I think it's going to make us much more efficient, help us be more creative, get past creative blocks. Like, again, give me 10 ad titles. Like some days I just have a headache and I are like a block. I don't want to do it, but I have to redo ads. So give me something to work with. And then I can, you know, you can't edit anything if you don't have a first draft. And if chat GPT can get you to first draft very quickly, you're going to be in a much better position to be an effective marketer. Totally. Totally. Yeah. The, the chat GBT thing is just incredible. Um, it sounds too like, you know, a lot of the predictions are, you said sort of get back to basics. Um, and a lot of the, the more, um, tactical, I think, um, advice that you had was <clears throat> sort of around, like, understand how to grow through your base and don't just focus hundred percent on acquisition. So would you agree with that? And if so, like, what role do you think retention now plays in like this new age of cost savings and needing to be really efficient with your growth? Yeah, I think like, hey, look, user acquisition is great, but a lot of user acquisition over the past few years has been, you know, through paid channels, you know, grow at all costs, whatever it costs, get them in there, we'll make it back over time. But that like, that kind of is gone now. I think retention is probably the most important thing for any business to stay alive, right? It predicts current revenue, future revenue. It's almost like a net promoter score as well, to a certain extent. It's like, hey, do people actually care what we're doing here? Because if you have a, like a very low retention rate, it's very like demeaning on your mental state when people are like, we worked our asses off to get people yeah. through the door. And then like they're leaving in two months. Like we haven't gotten even maybe, you know, 70% of our money back, um, depending on the way you acquired them. But I think retention is going to be the most important metric for SaaS companies going forward. Like you, you just cannot ignore the fact that money is falling out, like fix the holes in your bucket before you go add new features or go acquire new customers because um, optimizing a few percentage points on your convert on your registration page, you know, having interactive exit funnels for cancellation, all those things are going to play a much bigger role when you go and have the ability to go acquire more customers. Cause now that bucket has a lot less holes in it. So I think it's very, very important to not ignore the fact that if you have high retention, you have an issue, or if you have, sorry, if you have a low retention, you have an issue. You need to take care of that because it's not just going to magically fix itself. Cause I, I, you see founders are like, they just don't get it. Well then explain it to them, demonstrate it to them, yeah. educate them, show them, yeah. you know? Yeah. So retention is going to be big. Yeah. I've said this stat on the podcast before, but it's like, it's just always top of mind for me ever since I saw it a couple months ago. And it, it was a Shopify number that said um, like 20 uh, or sorry, in 2013, uh, the average e-commerce merchant lost $9 for every new customer on that first purchase. Today it's $29. Maybe. So, you know, <laughs> it's it's more than 3x in 10 years. And that's continuing to rise while at the same time reta retained customers coming back for repeat purchases has grown from a revenue standpoint. So like you're losing money on acquisition. You have to keep them to just 
get to break even while at the same time, your customers who are coming back are actually making you money on every single purchase. So um, to your point, uh, Jim, you know, I think that I totally agree with you, obviously a little bit biased, but I also believe that there's data there to back it up. Yeah. Um, and I think that brands do a hundred percent need to start optimizing, not just like their mindset and their approach, but like their stack to, uh, to retention and, and maybe even think about investing more there than on the traditional acquisition channels this year. Yeah. I mean, spend Q1 figuring out how you can pull a few knobs, run a few tests to see if you can improve these metrics. You know, it's about the, you know, the integral of over small things over a long period of time. And if you're, you know, want to be around for a while, then do those small things. They may seem very unsexy and unfun, but like, you're going to need to test your checkout page. If you're a, a merchant, you need to do that. You know, like there will always be a winner in the AB test. So run the test. And if you have the winner now, great. You at least can feel good when you go to bed that we have the best page that we could possibly have. But yeah, you need to work on retention and spend Q1 doing that while things are shaking out with the macro. You know, we have no clue what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm uh I'm a little bit pessimistic as it sounds like <laughs> that it, things, things are going to get worse before they get better. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the fed has like very crude, broad tools and they did a bad job with letting inflation run high. Now they're going to have to over tighten to make sure that they don't let this thing perpetually run. Now we're going to start comping over last year's larger inflation numbers. So you may see like year over year inflation go down, but if it's still persistent, you might see them like back off and then you get a second dip of inf or second wave of inflation in the third or fourth quarter this year. We've, and this is all conjecture, you know, I have no idea. This is just like a thesis. We guess at it, but you know, people's pocketbooks are being squeezed, you know, so we'll see what's happening with it. I think it's an interesting time to be um, watching, watching the world. You know, I, I, it's a lot, but it's something interesting and it, and it really affects your life. So you should pay attention to it. For sure. Yeah. Is there, what happens in, in that case, uh, for e-commerce in the, in the double inflation, that kind yeah. of double wave, yeah, I yeah. think, man, that's a good question. That's an excellent question. I think you see people, I think that some businesses will, are like still on teetering, like, Hey, should we keep our store open or not? We're at break even right now. And if they start to see costs just balloon that they can't, you can't stop the cost of envelopes going up or inputs for your product going up. And if it gets become too, um, too costly, you're going to have to take cost increases and price increases. I know some people are like, oh, we don't want to be corporate greedy and this or that. We have an ethos <laughs> if we don't do that. But like, bro, this is business. Yeah. You need to make sure you have a margin. Like you have to protect your margin. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way it is, you know? So when they say like 50% of, um, inflation is from corporate profits. Like, well, duh, when you have an input go up by $1, you need to double that because your margin is supposed to be 50%. That makes sense that it has gone up by 50% or contributed from corporations doing that. So I think you'll see people taking more price increases. I think you'll see um, some uh, customers start to buy down, you know, trade off for cheaper alternatives. I think you'll see maybe less frequency in purchases. Um, like if you're doing beauty products, maybe someone will try to stretch that beauty product out a little bit longer or things of that nature, like nice to haves may be, you know, kind of going away, but Hey, what can you do to adapt uh, to that? Do you need to make a, a lower level product? Do you keep them involved with your brand in a certain way, you know? And if, Hey, look, 
those people that are kind of trading down are not buying from you. How can you still keep them engaged once their pocketbook gets a little more padded? You know, that's where content comes in, like keep them a part of your community still. So I think there's still value to be delivered. You may not be making money, but like this one-to-many communication of content, it's my favorite thing to do. You know, like we're tripling down on content this year for our business because Content is like, it's intellectual property. You get amortization of of revenue automatically, you know, every year it makes you more money and you don't, you get to sell while you sleep. So that's kind of what I think will happen, but who knows, you know, like, well, it's going to be very interesting. Real quick. Have either of you read, um, Marcus Sheridan's book, they ask you answer. Cause that's all about like content and I'm I'm currently reading it. Um, but like kind of what you just said, Jim, like really, um, focusing on content to help grow your company and like grow the relationship you have with your consumer. That's what what it's all about. I would definitely recommend it. Um, But I was curious if you had read it because it seems like very similar to your beliefs and driving content and all of that great stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I am a very big, and I know this guy's polarizing too, Gary V. I love like the early Gary V. I haven't listened to him for a year or two when he started doing the NFTs and all that stuff. It was like, yeah. hey, you know, I'll, I'll that's what off, I was but, out too. Yeah. But look, the oh core of what he's saying is like, look, pe- attention is the biggest currency on the internet. You know, that's why people do very wild things to gain attention, but you can gain attention in your small niche. You do not have to be Tim Ferriss. You do not have to be Andrew Huberman. You do not have to have a million people watching you. You just need the right people to be watching you at the right time. And I think that's what a lot of entrepreneurs, they, you know, you don't have to create content. You can just document what's going on. You know, like we don't create content in our business. We document what's happening within our business, what our customers tell us, what we are seeing on the front lines. And if you get a point where you create content, that's great. But like, just document what you're doing and share that, you know, I think it's very important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One thing that I wanted to circle back on that you said earlier, and I'm wondering if, you know, the macro sort of um, is affecting this. We've had some customers of ours that have been legacy customers and done really well in e-commerce, you know, churn because they've shut down all of their e-commerce operations. From your perspective, Jim, like what what is a reason that a brand would like just completely overnight basically shut down e-commerce and focus solely on, um, you know, the big box retailer uh, business model? Customer acquisition cost. You know, DTC is very, very cool. You get to get right to the customer, but you know, sometimes when you can get a deal with Target to get an end cap and you can move 50,000 units, you may not make a lot um, on each unit, but you're getting huge brand recognition. You're getting the cosign of a Target or a Walmart or a Whole Foods. Yeah. So, and like, look, you do, it's a numbers game. They're not just doing this like, oh, I don't like this. It's not fun. It's like, no, it's financially not the right thing for us to be doing. We have the connections now to go to big box retail to do these other things, you know, I think that's, it's probably not a finance thing, a customer acquisition cost thing. Like you brought up, you know, we're losing $29 for every customer that we bring in. Myers is not, or, you know, Walmart's not doing right. that for, you know, so yeah. it's like, Hey, we can yeah. still keep our brand alive. And then if e-commerce comes to a point or we find a person that can run inside of our business e-commerce, then we'll, we'll jump back into it. But I think there's probably a combination of customer acquisition costs, uh, depth of talent, you know, that, you know, how do you run it? Like it's, it's a totally different animal doing, DTC um, versus, you know, distribution through a large channel, like again, a Walmart or a Target, a Whole Foods. Um, And some people go directly to the the Targets and the Whole Foods and the Walmarts. You know, I have a 
uh, a friend, Cynthia, she has a company called Bloomers Island and they've got a lot of great products for kids and they got to deal with Target and it just like totally blew her business up. But that relationship has turned into a lot bigger things for her, you know? So yeah, you just don't know until you knock on the door and someone answers. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great perspective. Um, I I've been really perplexed by it, but I think your answer and some thoughts I had along the way make it sound a lot more like nice in, in a lot of ways. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of thought about it as like a, a dismal, you know, outcome, but, at the, but now that I think about it, it's like, what's so bad <laughs> you have to your yeah. point, you know, this steady stream of customer who's not millions of individual customers, but one or two big, big box retailers and a lot more consistency, a lot better ability to forecast and figure out, um, you know, the next one that you can go after. And if, you know, the direct to consumer route, uh, was burning, burning cash, but this route is, is not, uh, it's earning cash, then I can see how that would make sense for a lot of businesses. Uh, yeah. so but I, at all but costs. I, I'm sure that they're, you know, very grateful for the fact that their DTC, DTC business probably allowed them to get to, you know, the the point where they were able to approach a Walmart or a Target and and have a seat at that table. Yeah, I mean, the buyers for those brands are on, excuse me, are on Instagram. You know, they're on, they're looking right. at these things. So you needed to do that. You know, it's not like all for naught, but yeah. Right now, it doesn't make sense for some people. I was like, let's continue to work with these big retailers. When it becomes financially viable, we'll go back to offering maybe a certain subset of our products or like only the most expensive ones that we think we can move extra units for. Um, yeah, I think that's, it's a, it's probably a financial choice. I don't think that people are so short-sighted. They're like, you know, this is too hard. We're done with this. Or like, These, <laughs> there's too many internet companies. We don't want to do this newfangled internet thing. There's too many, you know, distribution channels. There's too many marketing channels. I think it's probably a financial thing. And the, the board at all those companies is probably like, hey, look, dude, we need to make sure we don't lose money. Like it's again, 2023 is about survive at all costs. Capital is super expensive. So if you're not profitable right now, find a way to become profitable um, because you're not going to find VC funding or debt at great terms right now. Cause I mean, everyone's licking their chops in the PE and VC world, like cannot wait for you to be at max pain so they can come in and pick it up for 10 cents on the dollar and then grow your brand to something very, very special, especially like these very, um, like older brands, you know, like, um, like I think Gary V did K Swiss, you know, you're going to find things yeah. like maybe, you know, maybe these older brands that are just like, we're, we just cannot compete. Someone's going to come in and they're going to do excellent, beautiful work with it. So I think it's uh, creating a, a nice, fun environment to see, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So just to, just to wrap up on like a bit of a more positive note, I think, yeah. that, you know, the big takeaway for me uh, and Jim would love to to get your either approval or denial or any additional thoughts is like, you need to maximize your existing customer base and grow efficiently through that given the the higher acquisition costs. But the good news is like, there are so many tactics and tools out there that can, that can help brands do that. And I think that we're as an industry sort of focusing a lot more on retention. So those resources are more prevalent now than probably they've ever been before. Yeah, I could totally concur. You know, focus on your core audience. I th when I worked at Panda, there was a stat, and I think it's like from Frito Lay 10% of their customers bring 90% of their revenue. 
Yeah. You know, it's a very over, like the, I think they call it the 80, 20 rule. Right. But I think for some businesses, it's very, very lopsided. And like, don't forget that it's not about how many customers it's like CLTV and making sure people come back more, make sure they feel appreciated. Like these are going to be the years where you may have to do a little bit more to make customers feel like it's worse for me to like forego this expense to come back and buy from you again. You know, like I may not buy this beauty product because I want to buy this athletic product. So you have to make them very well aware that it's worth the money because it transforms their life. You know, there's, there's like a lot of things that are going to be that are great to have that are just not going to be there anymore. So um, be thoughtful of that. And, you know, again, survive at all costs and become profitable. Awesome. All right. Last question. We bring it back to the personal side. Um, you've obviously had a very interesting and awesome <laughs> career path today. Um, dabbled in the entrepreneurship side and um, cool, you know, uh, travel journeys as well. Um, what what sort of like advice would you give to anybody, um, you know, uh, who who has like an entrepreneurial minded um, career journey in front of them that they're that they're desiring? Um, and, you know, whether it's a tool or, or a book or, you know, some sort of advice you received along the way that's helped you. That's a good question. I would say, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, be in action. You can't become an entrepreneur by like watching YouTube videos and stuff. You have to like do stuff. So I would say like, don't be afraid to look stupid, build in public. If you can, if you have the confidence to build in public, build in public, cause you're going to start getting people rallying around you. But again, ask questions in the, cause th- like those answers may not be obvious and try things that seem basic. I, again, if you don't have the, like the guts to go out on your own, go work for somebody and get that experience, you know, working a year in a startup that's moving at a hundred miles an hour is like an MBA, you know, don't, mm-hmm. I'm not like an anti MBA guy, but I'm also not like, Hey, go to school again. You know, like that cost, it's very hard to recoup that if you're not going into, you know, I banking or something else that's very, very fruitful. Yeah. And I would say have humility, you know, the universe will humble you if you're not, you know, humble and it, it'll bring you to your knees and it'll bring you down to your belly and, and you're going to hurt, you know? So <laughs> I would say test, you know, be sure you're testing things, you know, that's kind of another thing too, is like, what do you, what is your ideal outcome and what are you trying to optimize for? Like have a plan, you know, don't just wake up and do stuff. Like there it has to be something you're, you're testing and, you know, test fast, iterate and um, yeah, just keep it moving. You know, don't, uh, you're your own worst enemy. I think one of the things that, you know, a personal, personal thing is calm your mind. You know, I do a lot of meditating. It's a big, important thing in my life and like my family's life. Take time to be calm and to kind of, you know, we get on our phones and there's 500 objects we see that create all these emotions in your body. I think taking time to calm yourself down, um, give yourself that space and that grace to say, what are we, what am I really doing here? What am I trying to do for the day? What am I trying to do for the next year or five years? Cause it's very easy to get swept up in something You're like, Oh my gosh, it is the end of 2022. I didn't get yeah. shit done. Yeah. You know? So like, dude, you know, just be thoughtful and journal. If you can, you know, document your life. You know, I think it's important to do that. Reflect on your career as an entrepreneur um, and make your own choices. It's very easy to, again, to get swept, like to get, um, how do you say swept up in the whole AI thing? Like, Oh, I got to do the next cutting edge. It was web right. three, six months ago, like stick to a path and get a mentor too. I think, you know, I'm giving you lots of advice here, but I think, you know, the <laughs> things that work for me is having a mentor too, like someone you can confide and say like things you wouldn't tell your parents or you wouldn't tell your mm-hmm. partner, like, you know, and um, someone who has experience in the space that you're trying to be in and trying to be successful in, or the thing you're trying to get good at. I think a, I have a few mentors and they've totally changed my perspective on things. You know, like I was a, a unhumble 
28 year old, 25 year old. And, you know, they really helped me avoid bopping my head a few times where it would have been catastrophic. And I think, you know, if you can find somebody and it's like, how do you find one? You just ask somebody, like you said earlier, you know, you feel like compelled to help people. There are a lot of people out there like you, like, you know, like Noah, like Mariah that want to help people just ask them. They would love to be your mentor. You just need to ask. And I think that's the one thing that people are scared to be told no whatever, dude, I've been told no a million times and I'm, I'm doing well. Like, you know, it's not like my life is easy either, but my life is not as difficult if I just kind of stayed to myself, you know? So right. that's some kind of advice there. Hopefully that someone can pick something. That up was awesome. That. Rapid fire. And I would yeah. add that, uh, you know, the, the thing that you mentioned up top, which you just brought back around is like dive in and help people for free. Like don't expect things in return. Um, but you will get a lot out of jumping into somebody else's business or somebody else's issue and helping mm -hmm. them solve the problem. Yeah. Uh, you always a, learn something, but you also always feel really good about it as well. Yeah. I'll put a pin in this as well. If that, you know, like, look, I know that in a creative space it's like, Oh, people want me to do their logo for free and this, you know, have some discernment on what to work right. on for free. Sure. This is not like everybody that comes and asks you <laughs> work for free, but like you're going to get a lot of opportunities. So use some discernment and like, Hey, what am I looking to get out of this? I'm not going to get some revenue out of it. I'm looking to maybe get access to these meetings and be a fly on the wall and learn new things. You know, I want to have access to, um, you know, different tools. Like someone is willing to let you come in and, and create an analytics setup for them. Great. You have nothing to lose. You're going to learn a lot, you know, minimally you're going to get to see their dashboards and like, Hey, this is what this brand is doing. I, and I think that's important to have some discernment, but is much as you can try to make yourself available for other people, you know, be a creator, not a consumer as much as you can. There's so much, you know, energy that can come out of your body to create, you know, don't just sit on Instagram or TikTok and scroll. Yeah. There's a lot of cool shit out there to do. I love that. That last piece, especially. All right, Jim. Thanks so much, man. It was great having you. Um, really excited to explore other future partnership opportunities with app hub, but likewise uh, for now, really excited to get this out to our audience. It's an, it's an awesome episode. So really appreciate you joining us. Yes. Thank you, Noah, Mariah. I really appreciate it. And I wish you guys much success in 2023 and everybody listening to this. I wish you guys much success. It's going to be a big year. Thanks, Thanks Jamie, you as well. Thanks. <laughs>